Hey, welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Welcome, Pastor Ross. Fantastic. Great to be with you. You can be seated. So good to be here. I'm going to do a bit of rearranging here. I don't need that one. And this one, I'm going to turn on the side. You're going to see, where, can we repaint that back wall? No? Okay, let's just stop there. Uh, it really is great to be with you uh, this morning. And as Josh said that, Kathy and I have been uh, catching up with a lot of our pastors over the last week, since last Friday in Melbourne and Sydney and Shell Harbour, I think nine cities in the last seven days. And then off to Townsville, my old stomping ground tomorrow. And, uh, but someone had to stop for the weekend in Noosa and we got the gig. And uh, I've got to say, what a, what a magnificent place. We live on the Gold Coast, so we know somewhat of magnificent environments to live in, but this is a whole new level up here. I've got to say, uh, uh, it just really is a, as soon as you get here, you just want to kind of kick back a little bit and enjoy. So thank you for the hospitality. It's been awesome being here this week. And uh, I'm looking forward to sharing the word with you this morning. Now, a bit of a deal here is that I, I, I like a little bit of feedback sometimes, okay? So I don't want you to give me news of feedback like, peace, man, that's really cool. I want you to, to, to lean in a little bit and, and help me here this morning because I really do believe with what I want to not just preach but deposit in this place can be a great encouragement and challenge for many of us, whether you're on vacation up here at the moment and you just slipped into church. I'm praying that, that this vacation was a little bit of a divine hookup for you, maybe a bit of divine destiny for you, whether you've been a, a, a someone that's walked with Christ, but maybe you've walked away. Maybe you got hurt in the church. Maybe something went down, and, but you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I'll give this another shot. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time. And uh, could be in a rut, just going through the motions. You know, you come and sing your three songs, do your thing, and leave this place. But that, that sense of, I was born for more, still percolates on the inside. That, that sense of, there's more in me, I, I want to do more, I, I got more dreams in me, is still alive within you, then hopefully this morning will be an encouragement. We're going to read from the book of Esther today. Esther is in the Old Testament. Let me give you a little bit of context about this book. There's four main characters in the book of Esther. There is Esther herself was a young Jewish woman that no one knew was a Jew. There was her stepfather, Mordecai, who had taken her in because her parents were murdered when she was very young. There was a, a governor of the land by the name of Haman, who was an anti-Jewish thinking person and acting person. And there was King Xerxes, who was the king of the land. And this book is written in about 480 BC in Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And King Xerxes was a leader over 127 provinces. I mean, this guy had a fair bit of influence. Uh, he was a very violent leader, very uh, aggressive. If ever you uh, revolted against the kingdom at that time, then, then you know, your life was basically taken out by this guy. He was a no-nonsense leader. He had a wife by the name of Vashti. Vashti was rumored to be the most beautiful woman in the whole earth known to man at that time. And um, in one of the, the opening books of the book of Esther, as you read it, you'll see that, that King Xerxes had led his, his nation through 180 days of festivals. 
That's 180 days of 24-7 Canadian Club and Merlot flowing non-stop. It was a party. And at the end of that 180 days, King Xerxes is in his palace and he says to his servants to go get his wife so that she can come and parade herself in front of a room full of middle-aged drunken men. Now, I know that you would find that, well, well, how, how disgraceful that a middle-aged man would pride himself through wealth and money by marrying a young, gorgeous woman to make himself look better. That would never happen today. But it did happen in those times. And, uh, and Vashti, I don't know how you would respond if your husband, after 180 days straight Canadian Club and Merlot drinking, binge drinking, him and his mates in their footy shorts call you in to parade yourself around the lounge. But being an Australian woman, I can imagine the response would be swift and it would be sharp. And he would be single. And uh, Vashti refuses to come to the king, which was a, a, an, a, a, a death offense. I mean, I mean, you would die for doing that. It, it, it was guaranteed. And so the king was so furious and he was so aware that if she does this, I don't want her to set a precedent in the whole of, of Persia of women rebelling against their husbands. So I need to make an example out of her. So this is his example. He says to the wife who didn't want to present herself in his presence, he goes, you'll never come in my presence again. Now, I kind of look at that and go, that's like telling a kid who won't eat vegetables, you're never having Brussels sprouts ever again as punishment. It's kind of like, cool, that's awesome. And so he says to the queen, you're not coming in my presence ever again. He banishes her. But because he's a vain king, he needs a new piece of eye candy. He needs a new woman on his arm. And so what the king does, he has a beauty contest amongst all 127 regions, provinces, to find out who the most beautiful woman that ever walked the face of the earth, now that his wife is banished, would be. And he wants to make her his queen. At the same time, there's this guy called Haman, who is very anti-Jewish, who was offended by a Jewish man by the name of Mordecai, who was Esther's stepfather. And Haman is so offended that he starts a, a a a journey, a plight to exterminate all of the Jewish people at that time in Persia. I mean, this guy just through one offense, one, one, one bit of unforgiveness, sets on a mission to exterminate a whole race of people. And, and here's what's so cool about this story. It sounds a little bit all over the place, but it's actually not. Because sometimes we look at what's not happening but we don't understand that behind the scenes, God is busy moving pieces of furniture around in preparation for what He wants to achieve through the earth. You know, sometimes we look at the state of our nation and the nations around the world and other nations who vote in certain leaders and how's that going to look and the political system seems to be all broken. I have a fundamental belief that God is not taken by surprise, that He is busy behind the scenes orchestrating moving into place and out of place, the right people for the right time. And so at this time, you've got Haman trying to kill all the Jews. You've got King Xerxes looking for a beautiful bride. And you find a 14-year-old Jewish girl by the name of Esther begins to rise in prominence. 
Esther is entered into the beauty contest. She wins her provincial beauty contest. She goes to the national. She wins that. She moves into the Miss Universe that you know Donald Trump's over there. He, he used to run these things. He could be judging them. She enters the, the, the Miss Universe contest. She wins the ultimate prize to become the new queen to King Xerxes. A 14-year-old hidden teenage Jewish girl who no one knew was a Jew because if they did, they would have been an anti-Jewish sediment that was growing in that nation. And God chooses her at his time and rises her to prominence. Thus we read in Esther chapter 4, verse 13, a verse that is very familiar with many people, but not all. Let me read it to you, starting in verse 13. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. This is uh, uh, Esther's stepdad. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you'll escape when all the other Jews are killed because he knows of the plot against the Jewish people. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. As we age, what becomes apparent for me personally, and no doubt it does for you too, is that you don't get to choose your time. Your time chooses you. Time chose for you to be born for this generation at this time for God's purposes. If he wanted you alive in another generation, you would have been born then. But you have been born for such a time as this. You and I are given a window of opportunity, a space in time that we inhabit to make our life make a dent, make a mark, make a splash in some way to impact the lives of others. And I am certain of this one thing that this is your time right now. This is your time in your career. This is your time in your family. This is your time for us as a church right here. No other situation, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but right now. We were created with mission in mind when you and I were given breath in our lungs. God did not place you here just to fill a little geographical space. He didn't place you here just to kind of take up a bit of space somewhere and waste a bit of time. Inside each and every one of us, there is a desire for mission. There is a desire for purpose. As Kathy and I walked along uh, uh, to the, the, the headland this morning, there was purpose in the eyes of every surfing fanatic that was pushing old people over on the pathway with their boards to get to those waves. I mean, I have never seen a procession of surfers like I saw this morning, and in amongst it, I saw Josh running. (laughs) Beautiful sight, like a gazelle, (laughs) swift. But it it was mayhem down there. Mission is inside each and every one of us. There's a sense to overcome. There's a sense to push forward. There's a sense to be progressive. Vision lies inside each and every one of us. But here's the deal. If you and I don't pursue what God has shaped you for, if we don't lean into it, 
if we don't chase after it, we will find a substitute mission. We will find something that kind of we give our life to, but we know when we look in the mirror, it's not really what God had called us to. In all of us, we have choices to make. Do I follow the shape that I believe God has built me for? Or do I allow the hardships of life to kind of knock me off course a little bit and still do some stuff, but really not aim for what it is I really felt I was shaped for? Without an authentic mission, we will be tempted to drift on autopilot, to let our lives center around something that is unworthy, something selfish, something dark, something that an author by the name of John Ortberg called a shadow mission. Your shadow mission is what you drift into when you indulge yourself in your own desires, thoughts, and cravings. It's when people put their lives on cruise control and the erosion of their character causes them to seek the paths of least resistance in life. It is a pattern of thought and action based upon temptation that leads us to betray our deepest values. The rejection of our mission in life will inevitably lead to the acceptance of our shadow mission. And now for Esther, she is confronted with a moment in her life and she's got to decide, what am I going to do? You think about it. She is about to walk into a life, or she is right now, she's queen of Persia. She is living a life of 24-7 luxury. She has got everything she ever wants. I mean, she has got accounts at every clothing store there is, every restaurant. She, she, she has her own chariot on standby for her to take her wherever she wants. 24-7 spa treatments available. The most beauty, uh, the most amazing beauty regimes are available. Pedicures. Everything was there for this woman. She had a palace that she called home. She came from a place of obscurity and now she she has everything. And yet deep within her, she knows that if she doesn't allow her voice to be heard, then her people, the Jews, will be exterminated. But she also knows to step up and to say something could cause her to lose her kingdom, could cause her to be shunned by her husband, the king, Xerxes. It could cause her to hang by her neck because of treason. And so there's a decision to make in her life. Let me give you two things this morning about shadow missions and to keep us or get us into our shadow mission. Number one is this, we all need a Mordecai. It was Mordecai's words to Esther that challenged her and said, if you keep quiet, your people, the Jews, are going to die. And just perhaps, just maybe you were born for this time. Just maybe your life was preserved and God made a way. God blessed you with beauty. God allowed you to be seen. He allowed you to be raised up into the ranks. He allowed you to be chosen as queen of Persia for such a time as this. I want to speak to every business person here. Maybe you are blessed for such a time as this. Because the temptation is for us, as we get blessed, we tend to upgrade our lifestyle 
And yet in all of us, there's a, a mission shape where God's saying, I don't mind you upgrading your lifestyle, but there's also more in you to make a transformation in your world with your wealth. You see, all of us have choices to make. All of us have decisions to make. And we can either shrink back because Noosa is the perfect place to do it, as is the Gold Coast, to shrink back into our canal lifestyle. Nothing wrong with living on the canal. As long as we're living in mission. Nothing wrong with having toys and having jet skis. And my toy is my bicycle. It is my toy. It is my everything. (laughs) Nothing wrong with having it. But if it's not a vessel to serve God through mission on, to reach other people, to have a relationship with others, then really what is it? And so for all of us, we all need a Mordecai. Mordecai confronts Esther and goes, hey, Esther, I know you've got all the goods, but you were born for this time. And if you don't say something, your people will die. Who is the Mordecai? Mordecai is someone in your life that tells you the truth. Mordecai is someone in your world that says, you know, I love you enough to let you know that I think if you don't make some alterations in your life that you're going to end up very empty in life. There's more in you than what you see right now. A Mordecai is someone that isn't overwhelmed by who you are. That, that, they're, not, that, that they're not so enamored with your great looks or great success in life. And they will tell you exactly what they think because they love you. All of us need a Mordecai. Esther would not given up her life in the palace unless Mordecai challenged her with the need that was in the Jewish people. So all of us need to find our Mordecai. A Mordecai could be a, a mother who, who sees another mum struggling in parents and just speaks into her life and helps her to change her parenting, change her thinking, but it makes a difference in that woman's life. You see, Mordecais come in all shapes and sizes, but they're people who genuinely love us. We've just been talking to a whole bunch of our pastors all up the East Coast, as Josh said. And one of the things that we made apparent to them was none of us like stepping on bathroom scales. Why? Because they tell us the truth. Now, unless you change them so they start at a negative, they tell you exactly where you're at. They don't encourage you. They don't say, you're doing great. You look fantastic today. They tell you exactly where you are at. And I say to pastors, unless we have people in our world that tell us the truth, tell us where we're at, we live in this false reality that everything's great when everything may not be great, we all need a Mordecai. Young and old, we all need someone in our world that loves us enough. It may be in this church, it may be your pastors, it may be your youth pastors, it may be a a business colleague, it could be a life group leader, it could be someone that just sees if you don't make some alterations to your life, your life could be headed to disaster. I found in my life it's been a Mordecai type person that has often at junctures in my life given me a nudge in the direction that I should be heading. At moments when I've wanted to go a different way because of whatever was wrong within me, they'll just nudge me lovingly because they care for me and get me back onto the right path. King David in the Bible 
He's in his mid-50s. He's been the greatest king Israel has ever had, won more battles, the first person to slay a giant. He was a phenomenal man, but now in his mid-50s, when really he should be pioneering and raising up another generation, he's in his palace looking at his great kingdom. And that's where he sees a lady bathing on a rooftop. And instead of being out of the battle, he's on the balcony looking at a bathtub and he sees Bathsheba's. That's a lot of bees. And he goes, ding-a-ling-a-ling, I'd like a piece of that thing. So he calls for her. They spent quality time together watching Netflix. She falls pregnant. She's married. David has the husband killed just to cover it all up. It is a mess. Thinking he gets away with it, a man by the name of Nathan who loved him enough to be a Mordecai in his life rocks up one day and goes, hey, David, unless you repent, your whole kingdom's gone. David breaks down, falls apart, repents to God. God restores him. You don't hear a lot from Nathan after that. But in a moment in time, a Mordecai figure stepped up because of his love for someone. We all need it somewhere in our life. Someone that loves us for who we are and not what we can do for them. Who's your Mordecai this morning? Who's going to push you out of your shadow mission, of your substitute mission? And maybe fear has kept you away from your real mission. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe you've been hurt in life and, and you've been bumped as, as uh, was prophesied earlier by Jaden. That, that you know, maybe you feel like a cracked vessel that's been marred in God's hand and you, you wonder why that has happened to you. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was lost somewhere. And you just feel like, man, I'm just a, a wounded warrior here. And it causes us to shrink back and take the path of least resistance. Churches all through Australia are filled with people that somewhere have been hurt and shrink back and because they don't want to step out again. They don't want to trust again. They don't want to be vulnerable again because it hurt last time. Maybe it was disappointment. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's cynicism. Or maybe you're just tired. You're tired of the journey and you just want to come to church and kind of do your thing and, you know, if Josh preaches well enough, get a bit, give a bit of money and, you know, have no other hassle, which, you know what? Still fine, God still loves you, but there's more in you. There's more in you. And you know it. When you look in the mirror, you know it. Whether it was when you were a teenager or a young adult, at some time in your life, something was alive in your heart. Verse 15 goes on and says this, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susha and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go and see the king. If I must die, I must die. This is some kind of woman. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Secondly, to get into our shadow mission, we just need a defining moment. Defining moments. Crunch time moments. Line in the sand moments. Moments when we say, you know what? Enough is enough. When you look at Often what we regurgitate in our language to our spouses about past events and past events and things that happened many, many years ago. At some point in all of our lives, because we've all got stuff, and the older you get, the longer your past becomes. 
We've all got reason to sit there and look back and go, well, because of that is a reason why I can't move forward. But all of us at some time need that line in the sand that goes, you know what? Enough is enough. I I don't want to stay chained to what happened in my past. I don't want to stay chained blaming something behind me when I've got all of this in front of me. It's those defining moments. It's those aha moments in our walk with Christ that just changes on the inside. You know when they happen to you. It's like, you know what? Something's changed. I want to leave that behind. It doesn't mean it just disappears. It can still hurt, but I'm not going to let it hang on to me anymore. I'm going to start forging forward into what God's got for me. And you are never too young and you are never too old. We make assumptions all the time. Well, if I I had done that 20 years ago, maybe. That is an assumption. The Bible never teaches us that a person is too old or too young. Those defining moments. Maybe today can be one where you leave this place today and go, you know what? I've been blaming stuff in the past for way too long. Esther's attitude, if I die going to see the king, then I die. But that's how determined I am to step into what it is that God's got for me. You know, in the book of Matthew, we're getting ready to close soon. The book of Matthew, chapter 4. Let me read you just a couple of verses here. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Thank you for the clarification. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, you think about this. Jesus is walking along the beach. He sees a couple of brothers out there fishing with a net. He looks at them. He says two words. Hey, follow me. Oh, that's three. Follow me. Immediately, the Bible says they drop their nets and they follow Jesus. Now, obviously, unlike today, if we did that to teenagers today or young adults today, probably it would be, well, hang on a minute. What's the pay like? Oh, hang on a minute. Is there, you know, like, do I, do, I, do I get overtime? You know, do I get a big house in the package? Do I get a big building that I can pastor? I mean, what's, well, what do I get before I do? These guys just followed Jesus. They dropped their nets. Now, here's the thing. They were out fishing for men. Jesus comes along and goes, hey, follow me, and I'm going to get you to still fish, but you're going to be fishing for people. Here's the thing about shadow missions. Shadow missions aren't 180 degrees opposite to what you're doing now. They're just 10 degrees. They were still fishing. They were just fishing for the wrong things. You see, in us, in our shadow mission, if you're a business person, it's probably producing finance It's probably doing what you're doing, but there might be a slight twist, a slight alteration because you're close, you're just 10% off. You're still doing stuff, you're just not doing the right stuff. And in all of us, you will find your shadow mission that we shrink into because this road seems too hard, is close to your passion, but it doesn't quite fit the passion. That's why all over Australia, we'll get fringes that break off from churches and start their own ministries. It's their shadow ministry. What should have been in the church, they break away and they start over here to do their own thing. What they're doing isn't wrong. It's just 10 degrees off course to what God designed them to do. But because of disappointment, because of hurt, we'd we'd rather go do that. 
but we never actually reach the fullness of what God's got for us because God always designed to do it through this, us. And these guys drop their nets and they follow Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, we're not going to go there. There's a story of a guy who the Bible just calls a rich young ruler. Doesn't have a name. Rich young ruler. We'll call him Christian. He rocks up one day. He says to Jesus, hey, Messiah, Lord, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, well, keep the commandments. And this guy goes, hey, bingo. I, I, I checklisted all of those. I, I've kept all of them. And Jesus goes, you are an amazing young man. You really are. Then the only thing you've got to do to be used by God is to sell everything you've got and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the Bible says at that, the young man was sad and went away. Now, Jesus didn't need his money. Jesus wasn't trying to get his money. But he knew the money was trying to get the young man. So he said, just give up the one thing that you hold true to your heart as your identity is based in, and then everything else is yours. And at that, he went away. You never hear of that young man ever again. He's gone. You think about this. The same opportunity as the disciples had in in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus says, come follow me, they drop their nets, they follow him. The same opportunity was given to this, this rich young ruler. He had an opportunity to have a front row seat in the greatest history changing event ever known to mankind. He could have watched every miracle unfold. He could have seen Jesus do what he did. He could have been part of that dirty dozen. He could have been one of the ones that should have stepped up and been in there. This guy would have been an intern, doing an internship with Jesus. One decision. And the Bible goes, you know what? He he, he went away very sad. I guarantee after that moment, he probably went away and may have used his money to do certain things, but it wasn't the true mission that God had for him. And yet for all of us, somewhere in our life, we're all confronted with an opportunity, a choice, a juncture in our life, an intersection. And we know that that road of least resistance often seems the easiest path, often seems the one that well, let's just go that way. It's much easier because we know over here, I've got to deal with some stuff. I've got to say sorry to some people. I've got to get some my closet cleaned out, my heart cleaned out a little bit. But we know if we would go through that, the person that we will be on the other side, compared to the person who takes the road of least resistance, I'd rather go this way. Front row seat to the greatest show, and he misses it. A shadow mission exhausts you, while a true mission energizes you. A shadow mission comes from guilt or insecurity, while a true mission comes from freedom and love. A shadow mission is about you, while a true mission involves you, but also includes God and others. A shadow mission leads to resentment, while a true mission lets you serve no matter what the response A shadow mission is marked by constant frustration at what's not working, where a true mission is marked by patience and grace. 
A shadow mission makes you feel more distant from God, while a true mission brings you closer to Him. And most of all, there's just no joy in a shadow mission, while a true mission leads to joy even though it may be hard. And Jesus, just like He did for the disciples, just like Mordecai did for Esther, I believe today wants to come and disrupt some people. That this morning... A disrupting spirit would come to provoke us and challenge us and go, don't shrink back. Whatever has happened in your life, God's not taken by surprise. Not that he has approved it, but Romans 8.28 promises me that he's the only one that can take the good, the bad, and the ugly and turn it around for something beautiful in our life. No self-help program. No detox program can do that, although many of them are good, but Jesus can do that. And I'm praying that today in this place, that wherever maybe some of us have got a little bit comfortable, maybe we're living a missionless life and we're going through the motions and we're feeling like, you know, when you leave church, really, all you do is critique everything. Why is that? It's because you've lost mission. And churches that forget that found people, our mission is to find people. When we're not doing that, you know what? We shrink back into judging whether the coffee was good or the service was good or the air conditioning temperature or did I get a good car park. They become our biggest issues instead of those we're wrestling for to see come to Christ. I pray in this church that this church that was birthed in mission would continue to lean in and mission. Josh said it when he was up here before, that our goal, we want to see Noosa and the surrounding districts impacted with the love and grace of Christ. That's our mission. And sometimes in churches, because I've seen it all the time, pastors will often shrink back and take the pathway of least resistance because there's conflict if they go and push to what they really believe God shaped them to be. I pray in this place, please, 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 Whatever is in this man's spirit, whatever it is that percolates within him, whatever it is that stirs within him, that you don't shrink back and go, well, let's just see how that goes. But you lean in with it. Lean in and go, God, we want to get in and support that dream that's in a young couple like Josh and Kristen in this place. We want to stay in our real mission. We don't want to live in a shadow mission. You know, as I close, the Bible at the end of the book of John picks up this verse, which I, I think is quite amazing. Actually, I'll read it to you as we, as we wrap up. John chapter 21. Jesus has been crucified, and uh, uh, the disciples do what a lot of us do when we're disappointed. They went fishing. You go surfing. They went fishing. And so full of disappointment, full of unmet expectations, they all go, we're out of here. Peter led them out there. And in John chapter 21, verse 4, it says this, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, okay? He had been crucified, but he had been resurrected. And now he's on Noosa Main Beach watching the disciples fishing. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, 
jumped into the water and headed to shore. So I'm going to wrap up with this. Three years later, after Jesus came to the disciples and said, follow me, and they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. Three years later, Jesus is crucified. They're all discouraged again. Man, I thought that that would have happened by now. A prophetic word was spoken. It didn't seem to happen. Oh, and we're, we're so discouraged. They go back to fishing. Jesus is on, on, the, on the beach. He sees them. And he says, hey, guys, you, you caught anything? No, we haven't. Well, fish on the other side of the boat. You'll get a lot. They do it. They see it. And they realize that's Jesus. When Jesus said to them, have you caught any fish? He wasn't interested in their fishing. He wasn't interested to see what kind of fish are you getting? You know, are the fish biting out there? You know what he was saying? When he said, have you caught any fish? He was actually saying this. How, how is life in your shadow mission going? How's life now that you've given up what I died for and you've shrunk back to go back to fishing? How's it working out for you? And he calls them back through love and grace into the real mission for what they're called. And if you know anything about the Bible, soon the Holy Spirit comes upon those same fearful men. They turn the world upside down. They birth the church and we are here because of it. And I believe this morning as we wrap up that Jesus is wanting to call people out of your shadow mission. Because you and I know it's not fulfilling you the way that you knew it would or you, thought, or you hoped it would. There's something, whether it be because you've been hurt, disappointed, unmet expectations, we shrink back and we take the road of least resistance. And Jesus says, how's that working out for you? Would you come back into that place, that God shape, where vision and mission begin to run through your veins again? Come on, let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you in this place. God, you have created this church, which is the people, not the building, to be a hub, to be a resource center, to be a place of sending, a place of coming and going, that many would pass through this place on their way to somewhere. But Father, what they would find in this place, a little bit like Antioch in the book of Acts, would inspire them for their next season. So Lord, I pray in this house for every man and every woman, for each and every one of us, Lord, wherever, through whatever circumstance, maybe we've shrunk back and we're living in our shadow mission. And maybe through our language and maybe through our attitude, we know that we no longer have the pursuit of mission, of Christ-centered mission in our life. But Father, it is never too late. So I pray in this place for a disrupting of our comfortable lives. Father, I pray for a stirring. I pray for a challenge. I pray for every husband and every wife, every single person. Father, no matter where life is taking us, I pray this morning that the power of the Holy Spirit would again begin to breathe upon the dreams, breathe upon the embers, breathe upon our hearts in this place. Let mission run rich in the hearts of this church, I pray. And Lord, I pray that this community 
would be better because of the people who are in this place. And Father, we thank you for it. Fantastic.